Before we look at Ephesians um, this afternoon, I'd like to make an announcement from my side and our side regarding um, our decision about the call to come to Porch. And I just want to say this has been really after much prayer and fasting and also calling a lot of faithful brothers and um, for counsel. And we've decided to cautiously accept the call to come to Porch um, full-time. And just want to say that this has probably been by far the most difficult decision I've ever had to make um, because of the church there in Klagsdorp. And, um, and the reason I'm saying cautiously accept is just because we want to honor that commitment that we have all agreed to as well, that we are not coming until we find a replacement for me. And, and we're also in that resting in God's will, in God's sovereignty, and relying on His guidance. So may I ask for all of us to just really pray God might provide, um, so, and, and that it won't be a, a very long, drawn-out thing. Uh, that's really a big desire for, for me. But obviously, um, I think I'm grateful that Porch and Clarks will be so close together that um, we can definitely still support the church there when, I, when we come, Lord willing, to, to Porch full-time. So, so yes, please, please pray for us, and please pray for the church in Clarksdorp. Let's read now together the word of the Lord, Ephesians 2 from verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are in the business of building your church and of creating this new creation. And we thank you, Lord, that you have started a work here in Porch. And Father, I pray that you will use these verses to knit our hearts together in love for one another. Lord, may we see the the essentialness of church. May we see the necessity of belonging to your church and help us, Lord, to follow you in complete obedience and to celebrate not just our um, salvation and reconciliation with you, but also our reconciliation with one another. So, Father, come and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, when you read the Bible, you realize that our relationship with God and our relationship with one another are very, very closely linked. Just think of the great commandment, for example. The great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like this, right? Almost, almost as equal to this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to 1 John 4 verse 20. John takes it to its logical um, extreme or logical end, not extreme, but its logical conclusion. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, and I think brother here specifically refers to another Christian, He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So do you see the the very close relationship between our love for God and our love for one another? You, You really can't separate these two things but again as as we've said last week what is one of our major problems today when we think of salvation 
When we think of our salvation, we are tempted to only think of our relationship with God. That this is an individual thing. This is something between me and God and nothing else. And nobody else has any right to make any claim on me or to correct me or to come and interfere with this relationship. This is a personal thing. For example, let me just show, share how this might look like practically. Some men might be tempted to think they can have a close relationship with God and be harsh with their wives at the same time. That those two cannot coexist. They can have a close relationship with God and yet cut down their wives with critical words. But what, what did Peter say? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner as the weaker vessel, so that what? Your prayers may not be hindered. It's as if the Lord says, I'm not listening to you until you treat my daughter correctly, right? Same thing for wives. Wives might be tempted to think that they have a, can have a close relationship with God and disrespect their husbands and gossip behind their backs, right? So while Paul wrote in Ephesians, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You see how closely your submission to your husband is connected to your submission to God. In other words, if you have a submission problem with your husband, you really have a submission problem with God himself. But you see the same thing. Your relationship in your marriage is linked. Husbands, your relationship to your wife is linked. It's linked to God. You can't separate. And wives, your relationship to your husbands are linked. It's, you can't separate them. And Relevant to our text, there's another relationship we can add to the list of linked relationships. Of course, all neighbors we should love, but specifically the church. That's another relationship that you can't divorce from your love for God and your love for other Christians. The bride of Christ cannot be separated from one another. By your love for your brothers and your sisters, you actually show that you are part of the family. Remember chapter 1. We, we looked at this a while back, but chapter 1 verse 15 Paul says, this is how I knew you were saved. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the what? To whom? The saints. Your love towards the saints convinced me that you're saved. That was the proof. That was the evidence. You love these people. You want to be part of these people's lives. You have an evident love. That's not natural. Remember what we said last week as well is, if you love people that are not like you, that doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, and you love them as your brother and your sister, that's not natural. That's supernatural to love people from other tribes, other tongues, Gentile and Jew, these two enemies now together as one. That shows the gospel. And Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. You see, it's easy to love people that's exactly like you, thinks like you, talks like you. Right? So to have a student church will work because all the students are going to be there. But I don't want to be part of the church where the older people are. I don't want to be part of the church where people are of different cultures and different languages. No, that's hard. I want to be in my own little bubble, my own little group. Now, again, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with having best friends and having people like you. Like, that's not the point. But that doesn't require supernatural love. That's the point. You need supernatural love to love people that are not like you. But here's the thing, is the church is not just something you do or some, some people you love. It's also your identity. You are the church. You see, you don't just go to church. We are the church. It's part of God's work. It's not separated from the cross. 
Remember the flow of thought of Ephesians 2. Chapters or verses 1 to 10 talks about this really vertical reconciliation that we have between us and God. We were dead in our sins. We were slaves to the devil. But God made us alive and we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And now God's making this poema, this new creation. And all of us love this. Love verse 1 and 1 to 10, right? And then when the pastor says, turn to chapter 2, verse 11. It's like, wait, is there a verse 11? I thought it ends there at 10, right? When, when, my, when I was saved. But what is this verse 11 to 22? It's the forgotten section. It's the forgotten section of Ephesians 2. Because that's the flow of thought. Verse 1 and 10 is our vertical reconciliation, while verse 11 to 22 is our horizontal reconciliation. That God has also made us one. And both of them are the result of the work of the cross. It's not just a, an optional add-on to your salvation. It's part of your salvation. So if you can think of the cross as a, the, the literal cross in your mind, right? Those two beams make up the full cross. In the same way, the, the vertical beam can represent our reconciliation with God, but there was also a horizontal beam that reconciles two people, two enemies together. And if we lose one or the other, we're missing part of the cross. We're missing part of the reason why Jesus died. This is the full picture. Do you think like this? The death of Jesus secured what we are doing right now. The death of Christ secured us coming together like this. Is that part of your understanding of the cross of salvation? Remember that verse 11 to 22 also follows that similar pattern of verses 1 and 10. Paul first reminds us of who we were. Then he shows us what God has done. And remember, this will just be a recap of last week. Last week we looked at the first two points. This will also be on the screen. So Paul first showed us who we were without Christ. That's verse 13. He says, remember, right? Remember, or verse 11, sorry, remember in verse 12, remember who you were. But then verse 13, what God has done now through Christ to bring peace and then tonight, or this afternoon, we're going to talk about verse 19 20. What we are now in Christ. So what we were, what God has done through Christ, and now what we are in Christ. Notice the first two words of verse, verse 19. It begins with the words, so then. So then, because of what God has done on the cross, this is who you are now. Who we were, what God has done, and who we are. That's the flow of thought. And Paul pictures, Paul is, it's, it, I love the way Paul often writes about the church or even about certain things. He, he seems like he's constantly switching between metaphors. Like he would begin with one metaphor and then instantly switch to, to the next one because he's trying to show us the various dynamics of what it means to be the church. So he's really looking at three major um, images. The first one is the church is God's city, the church is God's family, and the church is God's temple. Those are the three metaphors that we're going to walk through so the first metaphor the first image of what the church is or what we are now is that the church is god's city the church is god's city look at verse 19 it says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints notice the complete reversal of verse 12 look at verse 12 it says Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. But now it's the opposite. 
Now we are no longer strangers, we're no longer aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are a city. We, are, we belong to a new kingdom. When someone is a citizen of a city, they have certain rights, they have certain privileges, which people outside that city does not enjoy. A foreigner or an outsider might visit the city, might visit the country, but really they, they will never be part of the city or part of the place, right? They will always be passing through. A citizen was more than just some privileges. It was also their identity. I am this person. I belong to this kingdom. And now we see that we, we the Gentiles, remember he's mainly speaking here to Gentiles, uncircumcised people. We're no longer those outsiders. We're no longer peering over the Jewish nation and seeing how God has made the covenants and how God has worked in the Jewish, the Jews' lives. But now he's making this new. We are now fellow citizens with the saints. Remember, this is like a, this is a new kind of person. He's making a new man. Remember verse 15, it says, by, by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. One new man. Not Jew and Gentile, not Jewish church, Gentile church. One new church, one new people of God. And that, the beauty is now the Gentiles, even as uncircumcised, as eating unclean foods, touching unclean things, right? Those things and that, that made us previously unclean and separated. Now we are called fellow saints. That would have been highly offensive to a Jew to call those people a saint, a holy one, separated for God. Remember, that's what holy means. Holy means to be set apart, to be set apart for God. So if you were a saint, you were separate, set, set apart from the world, set apart from anything else to the common use to God. And now it says the Gentiles, you are set apart for God. Because Christ abolished the law. Remember we looked at that in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments. He broke the, the curtain, was torn from top to bottom. Now we have access to God in the Holy of Holies. We can come anytime through prayer, through the blood of Christ. We no longer have to go to a temple, have to go to a priest, have to go through a certain person or place, we can come to God as we are. Love it. And this is how it applies to us, right? This, this, these type of verses should cause us to, to say that there is no second class citizen in God's kingdom, right? This breaks down racism. This breaks down any kind of form of I'm superior because of my culture or I'm superior because of this. In Christ, really, it does not matter whether you're Zulu or Kosa or Afrikaner or Peri or educated or uneducated or male or female, rich or poor, pastor or member or whatever. We are fellow citizens. We are part of God's city. That's the positive. And the negative implications of this is that those who are apart from Christ, even the Jew, even the Jew, that commits to the Old Testament Torah and the Old Testament law, yet rejects Christ, are not God's people in the spiritual sense, right? Or going to hell. Because there's only one name that's given among men that, by which we may be saved, the name of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. On the, old, on the other side of the coin, Gentiles who are, are of high standing, right? Gentiles who are honorable, Gentiles who are educated, Gentiles who are zealous in their religion apart from Christ, are going to hell. 
Because only in Christ do we belong. Only in Christ are we made fellow citizens. It's not by our own our lineage or how we've been born or how we've been raised. Those things don't count for anything except faith in Christ alone. That's the first thing. As, as a church, we are now and we have a new citizenship. We belong to God's city. But secondly, we also belong to God's family. We belong to God's family. Notice the rest of verse 19. Notice how he switches, right? He says, um, you are no longer stranger aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, the family of God. You're a member. That's where we get our church membership from as well, right? We are members in God's family, and we want to show that visibly by becoming members of a local church as well. But now, listen to this. Members of God's family, no longer only Jews, no longer only, it's the Gentiles as well. We belong to the same family. We are adopted by the same father. We no longer look to one another and call each other you and me. We call each other brother and sister. The church is family. Listen to 1 Timothy 5, verse 1. It says, Paul commands Timothy like this. It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Remember what Jesus said, If you lose your father and your mother for my sake, what did he say? You will get a hundredfold back. What did he mean there? He meant the church. As we lose blood family for following Christ, we gain a church family for following Christ. You might lose your one home, but you get a hundred homes in the church. And the main reason is because when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we call Him our Father. Through the Spirit, we are now part of God's family. We call Him Abba, Abba Father. Christians feel at home in the church. One thing I love after I've preached um, I hope none of you come to my house just after I preach because I'm like lightning to, to just get out of these clothes and get like into my shorts and just love being comfortable, kick out my shoes. It's like the first thing I do religiously. Because at home, I don't care how I, I, don't care how I look. I don't, <laughs> I don't care what people think of me because I can be myself, right? At my home, I can be myself without fear. Now, in a similar way, I'm not saying you should come with pajamas to church. Okay, that's not... <laughs> Don't, don't say, what did you learn today at church? No, that's not the point, right? We are still meeting with the Holy God. There should be a sense of reverence and respect. That's not what I mean. But, but what I mean is we can be ourselves within the church because are we saved by our cleverness? Were we saved by our works? Were we brought into this family because we were the wise ones? We were the amazing ones. No, God picked us out. God chose his family members, right? Just like you can't choose your family members. You can't choose your church family members as well. God puts those people together. And sometimes you don't like them, but that's God's prerogative. But the point is this, we are family. And in this family, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to confess your sins to one another. It's okay to be struggling. Why? Because we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do. And then as a believer in Christ, there's no sin that you can confess that's not already covered by the blood of Christ, that Christ didn't already pay for. You see, so we don't, we're not trying to just uphold our image. We're not just trying to show that, but we are here because we were really good. We were, we were really trying hard. No, you were chosen. You were adopted. God picked you out from the streets and he brought you into his family. He washed you. He cleansed you. So you can be honest. You can be yourself. You can be honest about your sins, about your faults. 
to be sure, the family is uncomfortable. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. Deborah, my wife, wonderful iron. Okay, She doesn't do ironing, but she, she's doing ironing with me. Okay, Children, wonderful irons. <laughs> okay. Through our parenting, God parents me. All right, God shows me my sins. And I'm like, Lord, I need your help. In the same way, God brings you in a church and he's sharpening you and he's ironing you and he's chipping off your edges that you might learn how to be like Christ. That's why later, just read this with me. We're going to look at this in detail later, but look at chapter 4, verse 2. It says, we are to walk with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Now, why is that command there? Think about it. Why is it there to bear with one another if the church isn't doesn't have people worth bearing. So there's one sense you have to give up on your dream church. Give up. Give up on your dream church. That church doesn't exist. The famous quote of Spurgeon, if you look for a perfect church, the moment you don't go there because the moment you join, you spoil it. Because you're there. Right? So what do we need? We need patience. We need love. We need to bear. Isn't that... Think of your siblings. If you had siblings, if you grew up with siblings... Think about those fights, those bearing, those patience you needed with that, that brother or that sister. Like any family, beloved, we're, we're like a family. Families sometimes irritate each other. But isn't that beautiful? We are God's family, right? He is our Father. Christ is our brother. The Spirit dwells within us. And He binds us together in one church. So we belong. And we can be ourselves. And here's the last picture. The last picture of who we are in Christ is we are also God's temple. This is actually the dominant picture from verse 20 up until verse 22. Paul is just focusing on this temple. Look at verse 20 to 22. It says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see how, how Paul shifts through the metaphors? The city became a family and the family became a temple. And the temple is growing. Temples don't grow, right? So he's, you could even say there's a body metaphor there, right? There's an organic, this temple is alive. This temple is moving. This temple is organic. But that's what Paul does. He says, listen, this, and what's the picture here? It's if we are fellow citizens, if we are fellow members, if we are a temple where each brick is knitted and joined together. Do you see the pictures here? None of them communicate an isolated approach to church, like as if it's okay, as if you could just watch church online, as if you just could watch the sermon online and that's church. That's not being joined together. That's not being a family. That's not being a, a citizen, right? So the, the point is that we, we are meant to be close. We are meant to be knitted together. Remember, the Jews had to go to Jerusalem to the temple, which to worship God. The Gentiles had their man-made temples, temples like the temple to Diana, to worship their gods. But now there's a new temple. But the temple consists of people indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, to help you understand, I want you to picture this following picture in your mind. Imagine there were two walls of two separate buildings. There was a, one wall that was the Jewish wall, and then it was a a Gentile wall on the side, and these two were separated. There was a wall between the two walls, and they could never come together. Now what God did is he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, 
and he took the Jewish wall and he took the Gentile wall and he joins them into one new building, joining them together with Christ himself being the cornerstone. That's what he is doing. And with this new temple, you'll see there's three essential elements to this new temple. You could say that this is the church's blueprint. If you want to know what a healthy church looks like here, I believe we get very close to the summary of what every church should be about. Firstly, the two walls have a common foundation. True, healthy churches have a common foundation. Look at verse 20. It says, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Apostles, capital A, apostle, refers to the people in the church whom Jesus chose directly. Jesus chose those apostles, and the requirement to be one was you had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection, of his baptism till his resurrection. That's what the requirements. There were 12 apostles, and including a few more, like Paul, like Barnabas, those were apostles. And they received divine revelation directly from God to declare to the New Testament church authoritatively what the will of God is, how we should live now, how we should think, how we can glorify God in our families, in our, our workplace, in what we should believe about the gospel, and all those things. And the prophets, here you might be tempted to think the prophets refer to the Old Testament, but in context it also refers to New Testament prophets just because of chapter 3. Look at just, just glance over to chapter 3 verse 4. It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see the same phrase? This was hidden in the Old Testament, but now to his apostles and his prophets, God has revealed this mystery by the Spirit that the Gentile and the Jew are now one body. So do you see, this cannot refer to the Old Testament prophets. This referring, the, the, the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets of the New Testament church. And where do we find this revelation, this foundation? Just look, look at 3 verse 3. I love this. 3 verse 3 is so clear. It says, how the mystery was made known to me by, by revelation as I have written briefly. This revelation is written down for us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to find a new prophet today or a new apostle today. It's written down. The foundation is laid. What happens with foundations once it's laid? You don't keep on building. You don't keep on laying new foundations, right? This is a once-for-all foundation for the church. Therefore, I believe... Now, when I say apostle and prophet, I'm using it in the sense of capital A, capital P. So if you want to use apostle in the sense of sent one, like a missionary, you could. I just think it's unhelpful. Or prophet as those who speak the words of God, you could, but I think it's unhelpful. Do you see? So when I think of prophet, apostle, I'm talking capital A, capital P, divine revelation to, to sell it to all the churches of everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. I don't think those offices are available. So there isn't so someone who claims to be this apostle, this prophet, reject that. That's not a I don't think that's a title we can just claim. The foundation has been laid. What does Jesus use now? He gives shepherds and teachers, that's chapter 4, verse 11, we're gonna get there, to herald this New Testament truth. You see, so the apostles and prophets revealed the truth, and now we're just building on top of this foundation. That's all we're doing. We're not doing anything. Crazy. We're just saying, listen, here's the foundation, church. Let's build on this. And that's why, here's, here's why this is so applicable. 
This is a sign of a healthy church. This is, if you want to look for a church, look for this. The clear, expositional, verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word. Because that's what we need. This is the foundation. If we get the foundation wrong, the church will crumble. Or at least it will be very fragile, be very weak. And this is, isn't this a sad tendency today in our churches or in, in, in Christianity today? Oh, I love the preaching. The teaching is so solid, but just don't like the music. Right? I just can't stand the music. It's just too boring for me. So, Pastor, I th- we're going to rather join a church where I can feel close to God in singing and in worship. So, uh, by the way, not that I'm against good music. I love good music, and that's where I hope we could get one day. But I like the way we're doing it now. But So, these people gladly give up the regular, soul-sustaining, faithful preaching of God's Word week in and week out to taste the candy of feel-good messages and great music. And they gladly exchange that. I would rather be in a church where we have simple singing, simple fellowship, simple... We're doing simple things, but when it comes to the Bible, we, we gather around and we sit under the solid, soul-nourishing preaching of God's Word. That's what we should be looking for. So my advice to anyone, if you would come to me and say, Pastor, what should I look for in a church? This is what I would say to you 10 out of 10 times. Don't look for a beautiful building. Don't look for perfect music according to your preferences. Don't look for a church who has exactly the same kind of people like you have. Don't look for those things. Those, all those things are add-ons. Look for a church where the book is held high. Look for a church where God's authoritative, unchanging, sufficient, and inerrant word is the authority is what this church is looking to. Look for a church that doesn't preach for creative sermons. But look for a church that just says what the book says. This is enough, beloved. This, the Bible is sufficient for you. That's foundational. It's really not something you can choose. It's not an optional thing for us. You cannot get this wrong. We can get many things wrong. But this is one thing we cannot get wrong. And that's why James says, listen, if you who are preached, there should be very few preachers and teachers. Why? Because our judgment will be strict. Our judgment will be strict. Every word I say is being recorded for judgment day. That's scary. That's why you should pray for me. Okay? And as a side application, not just if this is a foundational for God's family, this should be foundational for all families, human families. Husbands and wives, parenting. What should your family be built upon? The word of God. They should be, in your family, should be regularly heard the very words of God. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 3.15. It says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. Timothy knew from childhood the scriptures. That doesn't automatically save him. Why? Because it says the scriptures does what? It makes you wise for salvation. Children still have to repent and trust in Christ, but now they have the ability, the wisdom, to understand the gospel and to be saved. So the most important inheritance as you can leave your children is not an education. It's not great memories. It's not these things. The greatest inheritance you can leave your children is solid Bible knowledge. And beloved, let me say this, because I do think there's a misunderstanding 
today in this area is that this job of in depositing Bible knowledge to your children is not the job of the church. It's not the job of Sunday school, right? This is the job of parents. Chapter 6 verse 4, fathers, bring up your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, men, husbands, you are mainly responsible for this. You are responsible. Some Puritans have called the family the little church for a reason. And I agree with that. Every family must be a church. Every family, they must be singing. Every family, they must be memorizing of scriptures. They must be reading of the Bible over and over again. Every family needs that. That's the real Sunday school. And church Sunday school is only the little supplement to your regular teaching. Church is only helping you out. It's not doing everything for you. So whatever we do at home, beloved, let us not neglect this. This is foundational for your family as well. Husbands, you need to, lead. You need to take initiative. You need to read. You need to say, let us read. Let us come to Christ. Let us pray together. Let us seek him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's, that's one reason why Jew and Gentile are now together, is we have a common foundation. The New Testament apostles and prophets revealed through the pages of the New Testament. But here's the second common thing we have in common, is that is, we have a common cornerstone. We have a common cornerstone. Look at verse 20. It says, I'm built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building made sure the whole building was square and stable. Without the cornerstone, the building might have even have a foundation. Listen to this. So important. We might have the right foundation without the cornerstone. It's useless. Without this cornerstone, nothing stands. The imagery is borrowed from Psalm 118, 22. And it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus himself used this verse to refer to himself. Remember, he defended the Pharisees when he said that. And, second, and 1 Peter 2 as well said the same thing. So here, what's the second essential blueprint for a healthy church? Not just should we be Bible-based, we should be Christ-centered. Everything we do must be centered around him. And this is why this is scary, beloved. You can be in a Bible-preaching church and still miss him. And still miss Jesus. That's why it's so, we should really have the ears to say, show me Jesus. Show me Christ. Because that's on what our stability depends. This is on what our, our stability and our, our church depends on. So we can even be singing great songs, reading the Bible, studying the Bible. But if we miss the central person about whom it all is about, we're missing it. So again, my second advice, after the regular preaching and teaching of God's word. Yes, the second thing look, looking for at a church is, is Jesus central? Is he being made much of? Is it obvious that this church are more excited about him than about us? Is he really central to our lives? What is the opposite of a Christ-centered church? A man-centered church, right? Churches that are built around us. Five ways to be a better you. Four problems you can overcome. Slaying the giants in your life. Calming the storms in your marriage. How to receive and achieve your dreams. 
But beloved, this is, this is common. You walk into any bookstore, find a book on the glory of Christ. I dare you. Walk into Kumbuks, seek a book on Christ. Just Christ. To clarify, the Bible is for you, but it's not about you. If you can't say amen, you have to say ouch. Okay, that's a very focused thing, I agree. Like, if it hurts you, say, say ouch. Okay? We, are the, we are just the planets. We are revolving around the sun. Or to put it in biblical language, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. So, beloved, when you come, when you come to church on Sunday, is this the deepest longing of your heart? Show me Christ. Lord, I want to see him. I want to see more of him. I want to be more like him. I want his glory to dazzle my eyes once again. Lord, that's the deepest hunger of my soul. Lord, show me your glory. It struck me, this text, this is part of, this is what people need to be saved. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so these are unbelievers, unsaved people, to keep them from what? Listen to this. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Because the moment you see the glory of Christ, you're saved. The moment that veil is lifted and you see him, it's, I'm in. It's irresistible grace. You can't resist that glory. But what's happening? We're blind. People don't see it. People don't see him as glorious. People don't see him as valuable because they, they're blinded by the God of this world, the devil. But the moment that veil is removed, the moment you have one peak, one glance at this glory, you're saved. I don't know what happened to me. I just want him. I just want to follow him. I just want to be more like him. I love him. I can't explain it to you. Beloved, that, is that your longing? Is that what you're longing for coming here every Sunday? Is that your longing for every, every time you open and crack open your Bible? Lord, I want to see Him. This is essential, right? This is essential for our health. We need that common cornerstone, not just to stabilize, but for everything else. Here's the last thing. The common thing that we have is we also have common building blocks. This is the rest of the verse. Look at verse 21 to 22. It says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here we see that new building, that new temple that, that, that God is busy building. He's build, busy building with the building blocks of Jew and Gentile. So he's taking people, individual people. So... By the way, we're not against people having individual salvation or relationship with God, but, but what is he doing with those individuals? He's joining them together. And you know what it says here? It says God is present. What does it say in verse 22? It says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see that? Notice these phrases, right? The, that when we are coming together, when we are joined together, this becomes a dwelling place for God that you will not experience on your own. Yes, you can experience His presence when you're on your knees and on your own. God is there. But there's a special way that God also is present when we are gathered together as Jew and Gentile, when we are doing life together, when we are being knitted and joined together, built together into this temple called the church. 
There's, there God dwells in a special way. That's why when we come together, we share the Lord's table. Isn't there a special blessing when we, every time we eat and drink of the cup and the bread? And we're doing it together. We're doing it as a body. We're doing it as a family. You can't experience that on your own. And as someone gets saved, the, the building increases. The building is built. I don't know if you know this. You don't have to be an architect to know this. If you are on your own, you're not a building. You're just a stone. You're just a rock. In, in fact, you're just a stumbling block. <laughs> People are going to trip over you. That block must be <laughs> joined to a building. Right? <laughs> you have that picture in your mind now. <laughs> and it is this temple of Jew and Gentile. This is where God now dwells. So, beloved, this is why, again, I want to say this. It sounds like maybe like a broken record, but this is just the section of the Bible we are in. If you do not belong to a church, if you're not closely built and cemented together as, as Christians, if you're not a member of any one church, you just like to float around, just like to just casually look from the outside of what every church is doing because you don't like to be, to be joined to one church or to be bound. By the way, it's the same kind of argument for why people don't want to be married, right? I don't want to be bound to one person for the rest of my life. Same thing, I don't want to be a member. I don't want to be bound to one church where I'm accountable to the elders and have to submit to my leadership and I have to carry another person's burdens. Once it gets difficult, I'm out. And if you're not that, what are you missing? You're missing the very presence of God. What God wants for you to experience. You're missing that. So let me close with this question. So are you a Christian? Do you see yourself as being born again by the Holy Spirit? Do you belong to Christ? Are you reconciled to God? Then who is your city? Where is your city? Where is your family? Where is your temple? Where are you meeting? Are you part of one? Brother, there's no higher privilege than that. To be part of this new creation called the church. God has taken us when we were dead. When we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he made us alive, raised us up, seated us with Christ, reconciled us to God. And the second part of the beam of the cross, he took Jew and Gentile and put them together. We are now God's city, God's family, God's temple with a common foundation, a common cornerstone. And we are being built of common building blocks into this one new temple so that God may dwell with us. And when the world sees that, when the world experiences that and see how people from these different cultures and, and, and tongues and tribes come together and we are worshiping one God, there is the gospel displayed. And it's evangelistic. It's evangelistic. It draws people. May we become that church. We reflect his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are often very proud people. We, we don't like to be bound or to be part of a structure or an institution that has authority and submission within it. But, Lord, we have seen within the Trinity itself, Lord, that authority is good. You have made authority. You have created us in your image to reflect that. Yes, Lord, we also know that authority is often abused. It's often misused and 
Oh Lord, I pray that we would not tolerate false teaching or the abuse of any authority, spiritual authority or whatever authority, that we would truly stand against that. But Lord, how often is there legitimate authority within your church and within the family, and we resist that because of our own pride and our own sinful hearts. So Father, please take us and really knit us and build us together, Lord. May we embrace the uncomfortableness of church. For this is your church, Lord. This is your temple, your city, and your family. And may we love other temples, other cities, other places where you are building your family, where you are building your church. Lord, may we love the saints wherever they may be found, that we might really be that one church that shines the love of Christ to a world that's dying and needs your love and your grace. So, Father, please come and build us. We can't do this by our own, and we rely and we depend on you to do this. We pray in Jesus' name.